0: All right, story time, Joey. And and I promise that it doesn't seem like it at first, but this does have to do with fantasy football. It'll get there in the end. Just, just let me cook for a minute. So rewind many years ago when i was 17 years old i briefly had this job where i was a photo booth operator you know people would like rent this photo booth for their kids birthdays for wedding receptions office parties whatever it was i would show up and i would stand there and show them how to use it basically just stand guard while these like groups of drunk people would cram themselves into this like dingy little photo booth take pictures together I absolutely hated that job, but that's not the point of the story. So the point is, you know, since people would rent this photo booth for their parties, you know, I would get out of work very late. One night I'm, I finish up working. It's like 1 a.m. November, upstate New York. Picture the scene, absolute snowstorm outside. So I get in my car, pull out of the parking lot, turn onto the street and I slide on a patch of black ice into this dense snowbank on the side of the road no injuries no damage to the car really but i am very stuck in the snowbank so i was driving like this terrible car with no tires no traction and to make matters worse you know i'm sitting there hating you know hating my life and i realized that my gas tank is dangerously Close to being empty. Like I'm talking about to the point where I have to turn the heat off in my car for fear that if I can't get out of the snowbank, I I won't be able to get to the gas station. You know, my car is going to be dead. I don't really know where I am in town. And then, you know, here's where things go from bad to worse. My phone, I realize it's at 5%. I I don't really know where I'm at. I kind of need Google Maps. Here's the kicker. I was a 17 year old stoner. I realized that I had forgotten my wallet at home that day. So no cash, no credit card, no driver's license. Phone on E, gas tank on E, grim situation all around. So what I did was I called my dad and and told him my story, you know, pleaded with him. And what he told me, Joey, was that he would not be coming to help. He would not be coming to get me, right? Tough love situation. Stuck in a snowbank, 1 a.m., 17 years old. So at that time, I was really upset, you know, pissed off at my dad. I didn't see the, the love part of the tough love. But now, looking back on that, you know, I'm actually very thankful for that night. What it taught me was to be accountable for my actions. You know, was it my fault that my car got stuck? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. You know, maybe it was just bad variance per se that that, that the black ice happened to be right where I turned. But that's something I could have accounted for. You know, I knew it was snowy. I knew what driving in Rochester in November is like. wasn't my dad's fault that I didn't bring my phone charger. That was my fault, you know, that I left my wallet at home. You know, I was 17. I, I was a kid, maybe, but I still had a car and a job. Like, I was independent. And the moral of the story, Joey, is I think there's a lot of people in the fantasy community who could really benefit from having an experience like that. People who are exposing themselves on the timelines right now, showing that they never had an experience like that. People who are endlessly... Bitching and complaining and looking for their commissioners of their fantasy leagues to bail them out of this COVID situation that we're all in. And honestly, it's got me real life tilted. You know, you see people before the game got rescheduled, the KC Patriots game got rescheduled saying, Hey, you know, I want to start Patrick Mahomes, but if the game gets canceled, can you just put Ryan Fitzpatrick's points in my lineup? No. You need to be accountable for your actions. Be responsible for the choices you've made for the depth you've built on your, on your fantasy team. You don't just get to get bailed out. You know, if Calvin Ridley is questionable for Monday night football and I have to choose to start Brandon Cooks ahead of time and get a zero in my lineup, well, that's a choice that I made and risk that I was willing to embrace you know, I'm not going to be looking to to blame the world for my problems. And I just I'm seeing a lot of that on the timeline. It got me real life tilted. And I just had to get that off my chest. I think people need to start uh, taking accountability for themselves.
1: Hey, man, I mean, I, I think I could see both sides of the ball.
0: Are you, are you on are you on team backups for COVID?
1: Nah, because I mean, I agree that you should take accountability for everything that happens in your life because at the end of the day, everything that happens in your life outside of, you know, some extenuating circumstances is your fault. I, I've came to that realization, you know, a couple months ago or about a year ago now where it's like, you know, you can't really blame anybody but yourself or anything that happens in your life because there's always, you know, a decision that you can make that could uh, produce a different outcome, right? Mm-hmm. But I also see the side of... Some of those tweets where they're like, you know, fantasy is supposed to be fun and, you know, it's just a game. So why make it not fun by by potentially risking getting zeros in your lineup? So, I mean, I I could see you know, their point of views. And I think it's important to look at it from their perspective as well. So, I mean, I guess I'm neutral in this situation. I mean, if the commissioners want to do it, then hats off to them. But I think the right way to go about it would be to just leave it as is unless, you know, something dramatic happens where there's like five or six games canceled or postponed. But other than that, like one game missing, it shouldn't really impact you that much.
0: That's a fair point. I guess I didn't consider it from the casual point of view because I kind of treat fantasy more like a job more than,
1: you know, like happy fun time. <laughs> 99% of the people that play for fun. And True. that that's what the fantasy community is. It's more so based on, you know, like redraft and, and playing in your home league with your friends or your coworkers and just having fun for a little bit of cash, not grinding DFS and, you know treating your home draft league as a business
0: all right joe you know that's actually a really strong uh counter to what i said i i appreciate that point of view i guess i was isolated in my own bubble of thought on that one <laughs> What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 94 of the DFS Dose podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we're going to recap week four of the NFL from a DFS perspective. We'll go over our personal results, review some of these slate decision points that we and many of you probably wrestled with in this uniquely complicated week, and then we will close things out by taking a look at some of the interesting statistics that we saw come out of week four. But before we do any of that, Joey, would you mind telling the good people how they can support the podcast?
1: As always, you can support the DFS Dose by following us on Twitter at the DFS Dose, and then you can go ahead and subscribe or follow us on any podcast platform that you use, uh, including Spotify, Apple Music, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Podcast Attic, wherever you listen to your podcast, the DFS Dose is on there. So make sure you're subscribed if you're listening to this, and then you can go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel at the DFS Dose. We're putting clips out daily, and then mine and Ben's videos come out every single week. Mine on Wednesdays and Ben's on Friday. So make sure you are subscribed to the YouTube channel and that is the best way to support the DFS Doves.
0: Absolutely. Now before we get into our usual deal reviewing the cash games and the slate decision points, let's rewind a little bit and talk about, you know, how this week got really crazy, really fast. And that was when Saturday morning Cam Newton we all found out that he had COVID, uh, you know, immediately after we all found out that the Chiefs and Patriots game would no longer be on the slate that had already happened earlier in the week with the Steelers and Titans game. And I guess just talk about how that changed the week for you and how you see the situation developing, I guess. I mean, in, you know, in our group chat, things were looking grim, like RIP NFL type stuff. And I, I felt that way, but I am encouraged by the way the NFL's handled it over the past 42 hours, I guess. It's just it's a really like turbulent situation, and it's a time that I'm thankful to be playing DFS opposed to redraft and having to deal with some of those decisions that we touched on in the open
1: yeah so it was definitely looking you know really suspect when the titans game ended up getting postponed completely and then the cam newton corona news broke that game ended up getting postponed until later today so i mean i was you know very wary of the outlook in terms of the nfl's future for 2020 but I think there is too much to lose in terms of capital and in terms of profits for the NFL to not be played. So I think that the 2020 season will go on with no reduction in games. And then just how it affected this week. I mean, it took some elite offenses off the board like the Steelers offense and the Chiefs offense Uh, But I don't think I was on any of those guys from those games either way. And it significantly reduced the player pool, which I felt like made it easier for tournaments and making your tournament lineups. And I like that part of it. Uh, 11 game slate today, which was solid and a lot of high scoring games, which was also cool. But. Um, I, th- I think the NFL is a go for the future.
0: Yeah, I, I, we'll have to see on that. I think that that is a very um up-in-the-air type thing. Like, if three more teams go down next week, I could very realistically see them go down that scenario that was tweeted about late, uh, or I guess early Sunday morning, where they talked about, you know, basically going into a bubble-type deal and, and reducing the season to 12 games, that type of situation. I mean, I guess it just depends on how the next few weeks play out. But in terms of this week specifically, like – the main the main thing from a DFS perspective was that I think it consolidated the ownership around guys like uh, Alvin Kamara, around guys like Mike Davis, for example, who ended up being like forty three percent owned in cash games, where I think uh, Edwards Hilaire would have taken a lot of that. Had, The Chiefs game, uh, been on the slate. I certainly would have been playing Edwards Hilaire and I ended up going with Davis. And I think that, you know, that was a big impact on that. I think a lot of people would have gone Cam Newton in cash and that didn't happen. As a result, we saw, you know, over 60% of the field consolidated on Fitzpatrick and Deshaun Watson. And I think that, you know, this was a week that tested people's, you know, how tuned in they were to news and how closely they were following things and how well they were able to adapt to changing situations because, you know, some people are good at that. Some people are not good at that. And I think that that showed this week, you know, that's not to say that if you didn't cash this week, that isn't a strength of yours because obviously, you know, regular variance happens, but I do think that the better you are at handling news and adjusting late and, you know, maybe not getting stuck in your early week takes and adapting to the new situations, uh, the better you probably did on this week because it, it was very important and, This was a week like unlike anything I think I can ever remember, honestly.
1: Yeah, and there's always going to be an edge in, you know, being adaptable uh, to any circumstance in life. If you have the ability to adapt, then you're always going to put yourself in the in the right position. And that was definitely tested this week, um, especially with all the late news that we got, like on Friday and Saturday morning, even Sunday morning, too.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Joe Mixon added late. Like, there was just so much that happened this this week in the past few days in terms of, of news. But let's get into the slate as it ended up being and some of the decision points around it. So, first, I'll run through some of the guys that were really highly owned in cash, and then we'll discuss our results and the decision points surrounding uh, those results. Uh, you know, the main guys, a lot of them are the ones that you would expect. Alvin Kamara was like 80% owned, Fitzpatrick 44, Mike Davis 43. Uh, D.J. Moore, the highest owned wide receiver, 39.1% in cash games. These ownerships coming from the $25 single entry on on DraftKings. Zeke 35, Lockett 32, Adam Troutman, your boy, 30% owned, very popular amongst the fish community. Um, Devontae Parker 27, Brandon Cooks 26, with another donut in the in the chalk section. Not a bunch of ancillary guys. You know, Henderson ended up being close to 25%. I didn't really see that coming. Same thing with Renfro all the way at 23.4% in cash. I thought that he was going to be much uh much more under the radar than guys like Galladay, Watson, etc. But um, you know, how did you do in cash this week?
1: Yeah, so I mean, uh it was tough. Another L on the board for me. Chalked that up to three straight losses in cash uh just, you know, on a terrible run. Not making the best decisions, especially this week. I feel like that that's on me. Also, been running kind of bad, but can't really blame it on that. But that that's just natural DFS variance. I ended up losing roughly a hundred dollars. Got saved on my head to heads as I went 43 and 27 in my 70 head to heads, and a lot of those wins were in the $2. Uh, I usually only play like $1 to $3 head to heads. A lot of my wins came in the $2, so I actually actually profited a good amount in terms of head to heads, but I didn't cash in any double-ups and I ended up scoring 129 points and it was tough because I had two zeros in my lineup.
0: I think a lot of people had those zeros. You know, we talked about Troutman being 30%, he was a zero. Brandon Cooks almost 27%, he was a zero. And the cash line, you know, you said you were at 129. Cash line was 136.5. And I beat that by three points, 139.5. I also had a zero in my line from Brandon Cooks. A nice uh, 1.8 out of Logan Thomas, just absolutely abysmal. But yeah, I managed to have a pretty decent week in cash. And and those few points, you know, Joey and I were separated by, what, 10 points? And and that's the difference Mm -hmm. in a week like this. You know, I had an 81% win rate. Uh, 180% of my head to heads, 100% of my double ups. And yeah, it was just a really, really, really tight week this week because it was, it really just came down to, you know, did you play Devontae Parker or did you play Odell Beckham? You know, did you play Mike Davis or did you play Daryl Henderson? It, it was literally 1v1s a lot of the times that, that completely changed this week. So let's talk about some of those decision points, whether we made the right choices or the wrong ones and sort of work backwards from there. And I think that in cash games this week started with Kamara and Zeke. I mean, we both viewed them as stone cold locks. I think that was right. Neither of them hit their ceilings, but we saw floor games from them. And that was, you know, exactly why we chose them, you know, because at their prices, their floors were just so high. And, you know, even though neither of them dropped 30 to 20 point games out of them was, you know, that it got you there as long as you didn't make too many other mistakes in your lineup. But uh both of us opted to go with Mike Davis as our third running back. So do you want to talk about that choice and and maybe why you went Davis over Henderson who was 25% in cash or even Kenyon Drake who ended up being like 17% in cash?
1: Yeah, so Davis for me ended up becoming like a priority early Sunday morning, late Saturday night and just at 5.7k it was too hard to pass on his receiving upside and his near every down roll in the Panthers offense. Ever since Christian McCaffrey went down with his high ankle sprain, the Panthers have featured him and securing that upside at 5.7K ended up, like I said, becoming a priority for me. And he also projected to be one of the highest owned running backs. So I was comfortable plugging him in over Henderson and drake who i thought weren't gonna have much ownership but like you said henderson ended up coming in at 25 percent and busted and then drake i don't know what is wrong with that dude but he came in around 15 percent and busted as well so ended up making the right play there and with camara and zeke obviously being locked in solid running back day Uh, For the cash lineup.
0: I will say, Joey, that I think you and I both got bailed out of getting absolutely washed this week by the, you know, quote unquote injury that Joe Mixon suffered. Because I think he would have been damn near, you know, as chalky as any of these guys had that, you know, not popped up out of the blue on Saturday that he had a chest injury and, you know, we were thinking about oh is he going to miss the game do we have to look to geo and he ended up only being 2% owned in cash i mean i think before that report came out he easily would have pushed 25% i think that in retrospect a lot of the henderson ownership probably came from joe mixon's you know questionable tag leading mm-hmm. up to sunday because they were the same price and you know henderson we loved him we talked about it on the preview podcast we were we were really big fans of henderson that was pretty inexplicable how badly he busted but again, you know, he was a guy who was playing under 50% of snaps. And I think Joe Mixon made a lot of sense there for a lot of people. And I think that, yeah, frankly, we got bailed out on on people getting off of him because of that report.
1: Yeah. And I mean, Joe Mixon absolutely snapped, had 151 yards rushing, two touchdowns and a touchdown through the air. And In that clip that we posted on YouTube where we talked about if we were going to play or fade him, you were set in stone on fading him. I was kind of 50-50 on the subject, and due to his injury, and then also Henderson and Davis, I was fine with full fading him in cash. Played him in some tournament lineups, which helped me uh, recover some of my money, but yeah, Joe Mixon absolutely snapped, and I guess we should have gave him more consideration at home against the Jaguars uh, in a great spot.
0: Yeah, uh, I I definitely got stuck in my take of not considering him. And then as soon as it became a questionable thing with him, I was like, oh, perfect. Now I don't even have to think about it. In fact, I was actually bummed out because I thought I would have a huge edge by uh, people playing him and him likely busting. And uh, I'm I'm actually really glad that that happened because I probably... Would have taken a fat L had that Saturday report not come out. So a uh, small blessings. Uh, my last question here with running backs before we move on is: Do you think that we underestimated what Rojo's role, Ronald Jones's role would be without Leonard Fournette there? Because he was cheap, forty seven hundred on DraftKings, and he did have you know a really immense workload. You know, twenty attempts for one hundred eleven yards, six receptions on nine targets. I mean, he was a feature back this week without Leonard Fournette, we know Brady's going to dump it off to the running backs. And I guess without Fournette there, I mean, I think we all were in agreement that Shady McCoy wouldn't really be a factor. I know Keyshawn Vaughn had a moment, but um, yeah, I think that I think that I personally uh, overlooked Rojo in this spot. I don't know how you feel about it.
1: Yeah, I definitely overlooked him as well. I mean, we're on record not being too high on Ronald Jones. You know, he just came out, had a great day against a tough Chargers defense, a day where the Buccaneers' offense was on fire and Tom Brady threw for five touchdowns. Jones even got faltered by Keyshawn Vaughn on one of those. So his day could have been much bigger. And I guess we just completely overlooked him at 4,700. But like I said, uh, we're just not high on him as a player. So I personally didn't even consider him at all in tournaments or cash games and of course he ended up winning someone a million dollars standard
0: I mean, I mean, all these guys scored really close to one another, you know, Ronald Jones, 21.8, Mike Davis, 22.1, Zeke, 21.5, Camaro, 20.9. So these guys are all within two points of each other. Rojo, a massive discount was the best point per dollar play of the group. And he was pretty owned in cash. Like people were on it. He was like 19% owned in the big $25 single entry double up. So yeah, I think that we definitely overlooked that for me. I considered him. You know, I wrote him up in the cash pool article on the dfsdos.com. He was somebody I was considering, but what it really came down to is that I just didn't envision the nine targets and I think that for a 1000 more, uh, Mike Davis had a reasonable expectation to get like six more targets than Rojo did and that just ended up being flat out wrong. So, I guess took the L there but managed to cash so it's not a huge deal. Let's uh let's talk about the quarterback position. So, Cam was removed. I think Cam would have had a lot of ownership, but that game was postponed. And cash game ownership really circled around Deshaun Watson and Fitzpatrick. Um, You know, both of us ran Deshaun Watson. And uh, I I guess my question is, do you think that was right in retrospect? I mean, Fitzpatrick ended up having a better day, much better day when you consider price. But I think I want to say that playing Watson was still the best choice uh, from a pre-lock process standpoint.
1: Yeah. So I definitely agree that it was the right choice and I'm always going to take the higher upside quarterback that has rushing upside all day, every day in a phenomenal matchup. I know Fitzpatrick's matchup was phenomenal too, but Fitzpatrick was busting until the last drive of the game where he had a 12 point drive. So he scored a rushing touchdown for six points, got the 300 yard passing bonus for three points and then just the yards obviously accumulated for the other points that he scored on that drive so you know he was sitting around 12 14 points when that drive started and you know that that's just variance uh the seahawks just gave up let him run down and score a measly six yard rushing touchdown or whatever he got and ended up scoring 26 points and hitting value and, and paying off the people that played him but probably 99 out of 100 times i'm taking Watson at that Mm -hmm. spot and watson's day could have been much bigger uh you know they say football's a game of inches and and it's completely true texans got down to the one yard line threw a fade to will fuller he caught it but the ball hit the ground barely touchdown taken off the board for watson and fuller Uh, and that would have put watson you know somewhere near 30 points on the day Uh, but that's just how it goes so
0: Luckily he got the three hundred yard bonus exactly because uh exactly. needed that needed that but yeah um you know for me it, it was very close like I I saw a lot of merit to paying down to Fitzpatrick but in the end the, just the value I thought was with Watson and when the game totals opened up I mean the Texans had like six points on the Dolphins I think that the scoring environment was quite a bit better for the Texans. Although, yeah, I mean, we all predicted that Fitzpatrick would be trailing, but I don't know. I mean, I think that it was definitely right to play Watson and he definitely ran pretty poorly in my opinion. I mean, he had under five points at the half. You know, the Vikings were just super effective at keeping the ball away from them. And, you know, they kept having really short busted drives. Uh I didn't really incorporate Bill O'Brien taking over play calling for the first time since last year. And maybe that you know, contributed to their slow start in the first half with the Texans. Uh, Maybe that was something that I overlooked in the process, but yeah, I guess, I guess just in general, I'm okay that we played Watson. It ended up being close, even though Fitzpatrick was a much better point per dollar play, but I I think it was still the right play. And then, uh, I guess we got to talk about, uh, Adam Troutman and, you know, I tried to talk you off of this play, not like I'm some kind of great tight end, you know, tout myself. I played Logan Thomas, so it, it was barely better. Um, but yeah, I mean, Troutman, I thought was, was a God awful play that the industry was trying to talk themselves into all week. And, uh, you, you were one of those people. So do you want to, you want to talk about that?
1: You know, he became the tight end one after Jared Cook went down, played 50% of snaps in week three. So with Jared Cook ruled out for week four, it was maybe we just overlooked, you know, the simple fact that maybe he wouldn't be the starter, but We all thought he would be the starter on a Drew Brees-led offense in a great matchup uh, against the Detroit Lions. And, you know, he ran like 30 routes or 20 routes uh, in week three. So if he was going to run between 25 to 30 routes in week four at min price, uh, I was comfortable with playing him. And it's easy to say he was a bad play, you know, at 2,500, the stone minimum, I was comfortable with just taking a shot on him. And if you look at it like this, I'd rather have a zero out of a 2,500 tight end than a one-pointer out of a 3,500 (laughs) tight end. At least I'm saving that $1,000 in salary to pay up, hypothetically, to a better player in my lineup that would have uh, covered his zero points. So, like I said, it's easy to say, but I don't think he was a terrible play. And then ultimately, tight end is just terrible, and we've seen that this year. I think there's some merit to paying up to, you know, a guy like Darren Waller or Mark Andrews weekly, but I just believe that we shouldn't have to draft a tight end. Like This is just terrible, and with that being said, I'm always paid down whenever I get a chance, so.
0: And I I don't necessarily think that the punt was a bad choice. Like, I've done that in the past. I I think that it goes back to kind of what we opened the podcast with, which is, like, you know, being accountable for your choices. It's like, yeah, like, I'm going to play this $2,500 player, but I think you have to anticipate the zero in your lineup, or at least be, you know, cognizant that that's very possible, and that's what happened, and, like, I think a lot of people just were acting like Troutman was a slam dunk play, and, To me, it's like, well, what's the role he's replacing? He's replacing Jared Cook, who is averaging five targets per game, so that's not great. I don't think that this guy who was, you know, unable to edge out, you know, Jared Cook for snaps before he goes down, Jared Cook, age 38 or whatever... Uh, is just all of a sudden going to come in and be dominant, and I just didn't really buy any of the arg- like buy any of the arguments that I was hearing. You know, they traded up for him. Okay, he's still not really playing ahead of like Josh Hill or Jared Cook. It's like I just thought the logic around the play was kind of faulty. Not necessarily the thought about paying down at the position per se. It was more the player because you know I wrote up OJ Howard as somebody I would have punted with for thirty three hundred and. When it comes down to $3,500, $3,300, $2,500, I don't don't see much of a difference. I I guess what I'm saying is that I didn't see much of a difference in what it allowed you to do in your salary. Like We all still fit uh, Kamara. We all still fit Zeke. Unless you were dead set on playing Tyler Lockett, I guess I just didn't really feel the need to do that.
1: Yeah, understandable. But I think that $1,000 does give you a little bit more flexibility in your lineup. And like I said, I'd rather have a zero out of a 2500 player then play logan thomas terrible terrible logan thomas and get one point so
0: never again joey i mean i literally talked you off the ledge on our last you podcast did. and then like we walked down the empire state building and then i just walked back up and threw myself off after i saved hmm. you absolutely terrible decision making don't don't know what i was thinking
1: yeah uh terrible play this week i mean Targets are encouraging, but we talked about it. Uh, Dwayne Haskins' target is like two-fifths, three-fifths of a regular target. I don't think Logan Thomas is in play anymore for the rest of the season. I really don't care anymore about Logan Thomas. So
0: Not until my boy Alex Smith gets in there. Facts, <laughs> all right, let's talk about the wide receiver and the process that led us to who we played. So, who did you actually play in wide
1: receiver this week? I'm not, I don't know. So, I ended up going with Will Fuller, DJ Moore, and <laughs> I galaxy brained and did the vaunted double stack with Cooks. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me just preface that by saying my cash lineup. Came down to a 2v2 with Cooks and Bucks D or Hunter Renfro and Colts D. And in hindsight, I should have obviously picked Renfro and Colts D because Cooks got zero or whatever. But I thought the matchup was too great for Cooks. I was too high on the Texans and I just couldn't get off that horse. And then I thought the Bucks D was going to absolutely dominate the Chargers defense at home. They were down their best two offensive linemen, rookie quarterback in like his third start. Well, you see, Justin Herbert is the, (laughs) Go, <laughs> Because that dude came out and lit the Buccaneers defense on fire. Okay, so I was completely wrong about that. And then, obviously, Cooks just screwed everybody that played him. So, that ended up being my wide receiver core, and I was dead set on Will Fuller. He ended up having a great game. Should have been a better game, like I explained earlier. But still, 25 points at 5.9K. You can't go wrong with that. Uh DJ Moore busted again, so... Shout out to DJ Moore. shout out to Brandon cooks scumbags.
0: Yeah. I mean, Brandon cooks got out targeted by Kenny Stills and Randall Cobb. Uh, He's dead to me. I can't believe that (laughs) I went on multiple tirades during the off season, just ranting about how I thought cooks would be the wide receiver one in Houston. I mean, definitely need to scrub all traces of that from the internet. So that never comes back to my name because God, what an egregious take. Um, (laughs) I just don't know what's wrong with Cooks. Maybe he's lost it. Maybe being on his, what, fifth team, fourth team, maybe that's one too many teams for him in his 26 years of age. So, yeah, it's definitely over for trying to play Brandon Cooks in fantasy. Uh, I wish I had gotten on Renfro. I mean, he didn't have an amazing game, but that 10 points would have definitely impacted some things. And they were about even for me. It really just came down to the fact that I was playing Watson. So, you know, why not get some exposure? And, you know, I was, I was never going to play Fuller because there was a uh, a better play for $100 cheaper. His name, Joey, was uh, Odell Beckham Jr. Are you familiar with this young man?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I'm very familiar.
0: See, the thesis of the play was that, that the Browns would be down big in this game and they would be, you know, slinging the ball. Getting Odell as many targets as they could as they played catch up. But you know what I didn't anticipate, but actually benefited me was that Odell is actually a game flow independent running back who can get fifty yard carries to salt the game away when they're playing from ahead. And uh,
1: incredible variance. Gotta love it when you know the the Browns give up a twenty seven point lead or whatever the hell it was, and then on their final drive, Odell gets a fucking reverse. For a 50-yard carry and the Cowboys defense is nowhere to be found. Yeah, what's the issue? (laughs) That's, oh my God, it's so crazy, man. Like, every play, just, I have no words.
0: Obviously, couldn't anticipate something like that happening. And Odell ran, you know, hot as hell. I mean, had what, like five receptions and three touchdowns. I mean, one of them was the rushing one we just talked about. But I mean, to me, Odell was the clear best play. I, I do feel vindicated. I was saying it all week. He was my priority play. I mean, if it came down to it, I would have played him over DJ Moore. I mean, he was the guy for me in that price range. Um, and that ended up paying off. You know, it feel, feels good to be right about that. But obviously, uh, you know, even I could admit that he ran incredibly hot on on that. I mean, I, you would yeah. think that if they were playing up for the entire game, that that would really bite us. But The combination of him getting three touchdowns and Nick Chubb going out in this game, just everything broke right for Odell.
1: Yeah, you don't say. I mean, he had seven touches in this game and scored three touchdowns, so a 40% touchdown rate Mm -hmm. in this game um cleared seventy three yards rushing eighty one yards receiving, so I mean you take away that fifty yard touchdown run that's you know an eleven point swing right there for Odell, so I mean people that played him in cash kind of got bailed out with his touchdowns because he didn't have an incredible day up until that run he he had a solid day with the two receiving touchdowns that he got he didn't eclipse 100 yards receiving in a game where they dropped what 50 points 49 points so
0: as far as far as cash games go I guess the last thing that we got to talk about is Tyler Lockett I mean he busted hardcore as you know 32.8 percent only had two catches for 39 yards 5.9 points um I don't know man Lockett was never a priority for me it felt chasey to go back to him at 7k coming off a three touchdown performance like I just I feel like that was a lapse in some people's processes processes but um yeah I mean it's not like Lockett was a bad play and obviously he had a floor game in this spot so that was you know people running bad in that spot but I just think that the process in general that would have led you up to Lockett was pretty faulty because there were so many great wide receivers that were sub 6k Kenny Galladay especially who opened up didn't have the best day, but I mean, when he opened up with Marshawn Lattimore getting ruled out and then, you know, you look at Devontae Parker and even like Amari Cooper, who we'll talk about in a minute, was the highest priced wide receiver I wrote up in my cash pool article. Like I just didn't really see the need to get up to Tyler Lockett. I kind of think people were just chasing points with that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I somewhat agree that it was chasing points, but Tyler Lockett is the wide receiver one on a Seahawks team that has been absolutely on fire, especially when Russell Wilson is throwing, you know, 40 to 45 times and he's throwing for five touchdowns. So I could see why people played him. And I guess it wasn't just because of Tyler Lockett busting, where people lost, because if you played Tyler Lockett, that means you probably paid down to Ryan Fitzpatrick, and then you most likely went, you know, DJ Moore, and then a pay down wide receiver like Brandon Cooks or Renfro. And that build was just a complete L this week. So I agree that the build was to stay in the mid-range for your two wide receivers, and maybe punt down to, you know, Cooks or Renfro, or even play three wide receivers from that mid range. I mean, Devontae Parker was twenty four percent. Odell and Will Fuller were around fifteen. Galladay was around like fifteen, twenty percent as well. So I think ultimately that was the right build this week.
0: Yeah, I mean I think that uh that Lockett also came as a choice that people made over Zeke Elliott, which to me was just flat out wrong because you know we saw Camara push 80%. So basically everybody agreed with us that he was a lock, but Zeke was only like 35% owned in cash. So a lot of people were okay getting away from Zeke. And to me, Zeke and Kamara were basically where you should have started your cash lineups in in this week and for sure, anything else was a mistake.
1: Yeah. I mean, Zeke is the best fantasy asset right now, in my opinion, uh, especially at the running back position. Had a clear cut floor game, got vultured by Tony Pollard at the goal line so that's another touchdown taken away from Zeke. So, Zeke is a clear-cut smash running back every time he's on the main slate until his price is over 10K, and I felt like he was just as good of a play as Kamara was um, with being only $200 cheaper.
0: We talked about it with Amari Cooper, like, Last week, and it happened, the ceiling game is coming. And I promise you, the ceiling game is coming for Zeke. And the great thing about these, you know, mid-range games that we're getting from him is that his price isn't going to be crazy. You know, I, I don't know what the prices are next week, but Zeke going against the Giants, probably in the 8K range. Yeah, we'll definitely be talking about that on Thursday. But let's let's stick to this week. Uh, you mentioned DJ Moore. He was the most popular wide receiver. 39.1% owned in cash games, went four for 49 uh only eight point nine DraftKings points and we can transition this over into the interesting stats section of our show. Joey, I made this joke on our Thursday podcast that that Robbie Anderson is the Panthers wide receiver one. And uh it's not a joke anymore. Robbie Anderson actually is the Panthers wide receiver one, true or false.
1: I think I think it's you know starting to become true. Mm. Robbie Anderson is looking like the alpha in that Panthers offense and not DJ Moore. I mean, DJ Moore has busted in two straight games. Uh, Robbie Anderson has more targets, more fantasy points, more yards, more touchdowns. So might be time to hop on the Robbie Anderson train.
0: And and from like a football perspective, Robbie Anderson is being used in a completely different way than than he was being used when he was with uh, Adam Gase. Shocker, Adam Gase wasn't getting the most out of his talent, but it turns out that Robbie Anderson isn't strictly, you know, a, a deep threat. He can play the middle of the field. He can play the short to intermediate game and he is feasting. I mean, leading in targets. Uh, leading in yards, like you said, fantasy points per game, touchdowns. I mean, Robbie Anderson is that dude right now. I mean, I think over the course of the season, DJ Moore won't be as bad as he started this year. But, but you know, Teddy and Anderson clearly have some kind of uh, connection going right now. And I think that right now we're still at the point where people aren't going to be fully on board with it. And I think that's an edge. Uh, I know that they're playing the Falcons next week. And I don't know what the prices are, but Robbie Anderson is definitely going to be somebody we have to look to and, and maybe get ahead of everybody else realizing that this is his role now.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree that Robbie Anderson is going to be a priority moving forward uh, over DJ Moore.
0: Sticking with some interesting stats, I mean, what happened to Daryl Henderson? Do you have a theory? Because I don't know. It, this was one of the I mean, more like befuddling things of of the week to me, honestly, because I love Daryl Henderson. I jammed him into like 80% of my GPP lineups. That was a huge L, Um, despite Odell being my favorite wide receiver. You know, I basically like mid-cash GPPs because Odell smashed, but Henderson busted in the worst possible way. So kind of, of, you know, averaged out there. But yeah, just what happened to this man?
1: Sean McVay, Galaxy brained all of us. Mm
0: -hmm. That
1: simple. Henderson- Ended up getting replaced by Malcolm Brown as the starting running back. I mean, if I had to take a guess, I think Henderson got hurt, was just you know dealing with an injury, so McVay took him out of the game. If I had to guess, that would that would be my uh, hypothesis on that situation. But yeah, I mean, Sean McVay <clears throat> just fooled us, and we took the bait in tournaments, and I got burned heavily by Sean McVay. So shout out to him.
0: Yeah, it's not that the Giants defense is actually good, right? I just want to make sure.
1: No, I mean, the Giants defense did play well in this matchup. And, you know, I have a a theory on that. And that's just because Joe Judge, the head coach, was, you know, an assistant to Bill Belichick. And Bill Belichick gave him the blueprint on how to stop the Rams offense in the Super Bowl. The Giants defense actually did play really well in this spot uh but nah henderson just i don't know what happened with him he he got benched that's what i want to think he got benched because he got hurt
0: man damn shame that uh belichick never imparted any of that defensive wisdom (laughs) onto matt patricia before he came and ruined detroit but um yeah that's a story for another time i guess um next question joey is wide receiver one overall In Amari Cooper's range because this man is racking up targets like nobody's business 16 targets this day 12 for 134 and one we finally saw that ceiling game we literally talked about it on our last episode that you know Amari Cooper has been super consistent but he had been the only Cowboys wide receiver up to this point who had yet to break 20 points he drops like what was it like 36 or something like that today just absolutely snapped and uh I mean, if Amari Cooper is going to average well over 10 targets per game for the rest of the season in this insane Dallas Cowboys offense where, you know, they're playing from behind because their defense is garbage, but they have such talented wide receivers that they're always going to keep it closer, always be able to come back in the end that. I mean, I think Amari Cooper wide receiver one overall is something that we have to start thinking about for the rest of the season.
1: Yeah, I mean, Amari Cooper just absolutely snapped in this matchup. And I know over the last two episodes, I've specifically said that the eruption game is coming and that we could see it as soon as this week. And even when I was saying that, I said he's going to score a 35 to 36 point game. And we saw that today. He ended up scoring like 35.90 points or whatever. So almost a 36-point day. We absolutely predicted that. Came true. And I mean, it just comes down to the fact that if the Cowboys are going to be down by 75 points in every matchup, Omari Cooper is going to absolutely feast this season. And the entire Cowboys offense is going to shatter records for Mm -hmm. yardage, for touchdowns, for fantasy points, everything. So Dak, Cooper, Zeke, they're pretty much starting to become locks for me in DFS every single week uh, from this point out because, I mean, their defense is god-awful. So they're always going to be losing or in neutral game scripts, which means that Mike McCarthy is going to be throwing the ball a lot. This
0: this offense right now reminds me of the Peyton Manning Broncos glory years. And the draw is Amari Cooper's Demarius Thomas, who was the most productive, most consistent you know, guy in that range. And then it would kind of alternate between Wes Walker and Emmanuel Sanders, which one of them would have the big game. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing here. Amari Cooper is going to be consistent and he will have his big weeks. And I think that one of C.D. Lamb and Michael Gallup will also accompany that. And I mean, we've seen that for basically three weeks straight, you know, I mean, with the exception of Cedric Wilson squeaking in there one week, but it's basically been Amari Cooper consistent. One other guy snaps Uh, You know, this week we saw Amari Cooper snap and CeeDee Lamb also made it there with two touchdowns. So this offense is just something we need to be targeting. So, uh, you know, somewhat related to that is, you know, Dak Prescott. You just mentioned it. I mean, is he entering Lamar Jackson DFS territory from last year where his price is going to become extremely high over the next couple of weeks? But we're still going to have to consider paying up for him because his floor and ceiling are just they they might be on a different level from the rest of the field in in this current iteration of the Cowboys offense with their defense as bad as it is and their offense as talented as it is,
1: yeah, I think he's definitely creeping into the conversation at least uh with his play so far this year and so that means he's always gonna be in consideration for tournaments um if he ends up getting to you know the eight k range, it's gonna be hard to fit him in cash. So I don't know if I would consider him in cash if he gets up there, but definitely in tournaments every single week. And I mean, he's had like a 30 point floor uh, in 2020 so far, which is crazy. And, you know, that's obviously going to regress, I think. Maybe not. So I kind of want to be on that when it happens. I want to be off the deck train when the regression hits, but maybe this offense is too good and won't regress at all. Uh, And just another point, I think their defense is going to get better throughout the rest of the season. Um, they're going to get their players back off of IR. I know they're down like their top three cornerbacks. They're down their top linebacker in Van Der Esch. So their defense is going to improve. And then obviously over the course of the season, there's natural improvement that comes along with just, you know, playing more games and getting more acclimated to the season. So I don't think the favorable game scripts, like I'm saying like 25 plus point deficits will be in the near future for Dak. But he's still gonna be a great fantasy uh, player and asset.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that the defensive improvement is the only way that, that that regression hits though. Because until that happens, their defense is so bad that they're just there's no way that they'll ever be able to be playing from ahead, which is basically great for everybody on that team, even Zeke, who's just seeing a ton of catches each and every week. So Yeah, uh, when that defense improves, maybe things will change. But until then, I think Dak is squarely in consideration uh, regardless of price right now. Uh, Let's transition into some running back talk before we get out of here for tonight. Um, Jonathan Taylor, handling less than 50% of the running back carries in Indy in Week 4, touched the ball 17 times, Hines and Wilkins combined for 18. So they're giving Jonathan Taylor just under 50% of the touches. I mean what the hell is going on here?
1: Yeah. I mean, I've seen tweets uh, saying that Jonathan Taylor's vision is God awful and that he resembles uh Trent Richardson. <laughs> uh, but I wouldn't, I want not go that extreme, but I, you know, I believe that he's the clear cut best running back on the team. And it's only a matter of time till Wilkins and Hines are irrelevant in that offense but the Colts want to at least for now uh split the ball between those three guys. You know that that makes it hard to play Jonathan Taylor uh on a weekly basis, especially in DFS and it's going to be hard to play him uh in redraft and dynasty leagues as well if this role continues.
0: I guess it's kind of wait and see for now. I mean I always kind of expected Hines to be in there. I know that we had that one week like week 2 or something where he completely was erased and like had like one touch to Taylor's 28 or whatever it was, but the fact that Wilkins was so involved is concerning to me because that is the type of those are the type of touches that Jonathan Taylor should be dominating in that offense. I don't know what it is. I I'm not, you know, uh, I'm not an accomplished enough film buff to recognize what running back's visions are just from watching. So I guess I'll leave that to, you know, team watch the tape and, and I'll I'll learn. But I mean, I don't think Trent Richardson was even as good as, you know, Jonathan Taylor was. At any point, you know, in his career and what we've already seen from Taylor, so you know, I'm skeptical of that take.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree.
0: You know, a take that I'm not skeptical of is one that you said earlier in the show, and it was something along the lines of, you know, Kenyan Drake is garbage or, or something like that. I mean, god
1: awful, probably. That's probably that's my yeah. new saying.
0: I like it, and I think it very accurately describes Kenyon Drake. Uh, You know, I thought I was sharp getting back on it this week after he burned me last week. Nope, uh, I'm just a sucker for pain.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Kenyon Drake is disappointed four straight weeks. And he's looking like he's going to be one of, if not the biggest bust in fantasy football in terms of ADP. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this was a clear cut. Nut matchup for Kenyon Drake and the entire Cardinals offense. I know they have some injuries to their wide receivers who ended up playing, but they were still banged up nonetheless. And you know, the Cardinals offense just hasn't been good the last two weeks. I think that's a part of Kenyon Drake's downfall right now. Uh, Chase Edmonds is getting a large target share, he's around 19% is what he got. In This matchup and he's also getting more snaps so that obviously hurts Kenyon Drake and then Kyler Murray's uh, rushing upside hurts Drake as well. So there's just a lot of factors that are going against Drake right now and if he's not getting catches he's not going to be a good fantasy running back solely depending on his rushing volume
0: i agree with you that it's looking like he's the heavy favorite to be the biggest bust in you know the first two rounds of fantasy at this point i mean the the fact that he's so game flow dependent i think is something that none of us were really expecting i mean they're giving the the receptions to edmunds and, you know, he really appears to be in a three-way timeshare with the amount of rush attempts that Kyler Murray's getting, especially with the way they use Kyler in the red zone for the rushing attempts. It's just like he's mm-hmm. getting vultured at the goal line up by Kyler. He's getting vultured in the receiving game by Edmonds. And now we're just looking at, you know, I think I said this off the podcast last time, but it's reminiscent of Mark Ingram to me last year. where like, yeah, he'll probably have a couple two touchdown games. That'll be great, but they're going to come out of nowhere and they're going to be completely unpredictable because... He's just there's too many mouths to feed there. So yeah, I mean, definitely a fat L on Kenyon Drake if you drafted him in season long, which I, I took a ton of shares of him in best ball. So not great. But um I think that it's at this point we just have to recognize it it is what it is and, and he's not very viable outside of just being a straight up long shot tournament play. If you're if you're not gonna do it against the Panthers run defense, you're probably not gonna do it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely agree and in- you know, it just hurts to see because Kenyon Drake has always been my son. And mm-hmm. I think he's still a good running back. It's just he's not getting the opportunities that he was in the final eight games of last year uh, in this season so far. But I mean, I did draft a lot of Chase Edmonds in best ball. So, you know, Same. I'll take
0: it. Yeah, yeah. The best case scenario would probably be an injury, but we don't wish injuries on people.
1: Um, uh, Kenyon Drake actually did leave the game with an injury as well. So,
0: uh, lit. No, just kidding. It's not lit at all. Um, I hope he's okay. Last two guys we're going to talk about here, Joey. I want to check in on two of our biggest offseason fades, starting off with the guy that I think you talk the most about fading in season long, Antonio Gibson. And he's seeing his role expand right now. So I wanted to check base with how you're feeling about Antonio Gibson and what you think about him right now. You know, this week he went 13 for 46 and one on the ground and also caught Four of his five targets for 82 yards, you know, really good workload. And they they always had said that his role would expand as the season went along. And I think we're starting to see that. So I guess the question is, do you think that the boosted workload is going to be enough to overcome the poor scoring environment in Washington and make Antonio Gibson a viable to strong fantasy asset?
1: It's tough because Antonio Gibson... Looks like a very dynamic player uh, right now from what I've seen out of him. But, like you mentioned, he's in one of the worst scoring environments, one of the worst offenses in the NFL. So, I still believe that it'll be hard for him to produce as, you know, like a top 24 running back as an RB2. But with his volume projected to increase weekly and especially his reception upside, because I mean, It would make sense that they would want their former wide receiver to catch passes out of the backfield. We saw that this week he had four catches for 82 yards, uh, so we could definitely see that increase. I'm still on the whole point that I would never take him in the sixth round of drafts. I still think that was the right process, and I stick by that uh, take, but I think he could definitely settle in as an RB3 for the rest of the season
0: yeah that that seems legit it appears that he's going to be getting the 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 work in the receiving game which is really valuable especially on like DraftKings or if you're in a ppr type redraft league the concern with him is that his team is going to have a total under 20 each and every single week so Mm -hmm. you know it's it's kind of like a double-edged sword i think that antonio gibson is a player that is like his best Uh, format of fantasy is probably dynasty because i could see this offense improving over the next two years and i think that he could you know continually grow and become a really really you know fantastic fantasy asset with you know as dynamic as he does look it's just i still think
1: it's a little bit too early yeah i definitely agree i don't think antonio gibson is you know going to be that viable in fantasy football for 2020
0: all right last guy that I need to touch on real quick uh, is Josh Jacobs. Now, look, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I made a video in August or late July or whatever it was, where I called Josh Jacobs the worst uh, fantasy football pick in the second round that you could possibly make, this and that, you know, and then he blows up in week one for 35 DraftKings points. You know, I go back to that video. Bunch of people coming in just leaving comments like, look at this clown. Who's here to see what this dude had to say? LOL, you know, you're trash at fantasy, all this stuff. A lot of people coming out of the woodwork to shit on me for my Josh Jacobs take after that week one blow up. All I want to say is that in weeks two, three, and four, he has not combined for as many points as he scored in that week one. Maybe I wasn't so wrong after all. I mean, if if you want to use your second round pick for a guy who's going to get, you know, 10 points every week, 13 points on a good week, Go ahead, you know it couldn't be me, so I guess that's all I want to say. I mean, how do you feel about Josh Jacob's outlook right now?
1: I mean, he hasn't had good games his last three games mm-hmm. um he he has had tough matchups going up against stout run defenses in the saints uh and the bills, and he got game scripted out against the Patriots, but as a second round pick, he is getting. No less than 18 touches a game. He has three receptions or more in every single matchup, which was one of the biggest reasons why you were fading him in that video that you put out mm-hmm. is you thought he wasn't going to have a receiving role. Uh it turns out he's already at 50% of what... He caught last year through four games and he's on pace to have about 50 to 55 catches on the season which will automatically put him into the top 12 running backs. I mean, he's the running back 8 right now, uh even with these three bad matchups and I think Josh Jacobs is a, you know, good running back. He's going to get fed and touches and opportunity over everything. Give me Josh Jacobs saying he was the worst pick in the second round. Just bad take. It's clear cut that he's going to finish as an RB1 this year just due to the injuries. But I feel like even without the injuries, he would have been an RB1 either way.
0: Well, I'm going to just say two things to that. One, I saw Theo Riddick take some snaps today.
1: Oh, here we go.
0: I don't know what that means for the future. I'm just saying what I saw with my two eyes. And, And two the Raiders have scored like 77 points since Josh Jacobs had his last touchdown. Um, You know, I don't know what that means. I'll let the people interpret that, but uh, yeah, let's, uh, Hey, let's maybe just pump the brakes on taking week one victory laps, I guess is, is all I want to say.
1: I mean, any week victory laps are are kind of annoying, but Josh Jacobs is top three in terms of running back touches. So the volume is there and, His fantasy outlook, if he continues to get this volume, is incredibly high, in my opinion. So, fading him was a mistake.
0: Is it too petty to go back on that YouTube video and start replying to all the people who who came no because i still
1: i still think you're wrong because your main point in that video was he wasn't going to have a receiving role because of richard booker and theo riddick but he does have a receiving role and he's not coming off the field for like 50 of the third down so i i think they're still right uh on that video in the comments <laughs>
0: Yeah, I know, but it's not always about who's right. It's just about uh sometimes being petty. But I guess you're right. I guess we'll see. He, he he'll he'll definitely finish as a RB, RB1. So, that's fair enough. But thank you all for listening. I uh, hope this wasn't too weird of a podcast. I know it turned into a life cast at some points, but that's okay. Uh, we're all adults listening to this. So yeah, we appreciate the listenership. Got some tweets today about people like thanking us for the advice. So that's dope. You know, we're we're starting to break through Joey. So, uh, it's, it's great to see the support from people. Hope you guys are enjoying the YouTube videos. We've been pumping them out like crazy right now and, uh, you know, no sign of slowing down. So we will be back with episode 95 of this podcast on Thursday to preview the week five NFL slate. A slate where Darius Slayton is going to be going against the Dallas Cowboys defense. So if you Mm -hmm. get annoyed by things like me tweeting about Godius, you should probably block me now because it's going to be an intense week on Twitter. But yeah, like I said, guys, uh, thank you for the support. And as Joey said at the top of the show, you can support us by subscribing to the YouTube channel, subscribing to the podcast on whatever platform you use. Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, podcast addict Stitcher, we are everywhere that you can get podcasts you can also follow us on twitter at the dfs dose and our personal twitters i'm at ben hover b-e-n-h-a-u-v-e-r joey tell them where they can find you
1: you can find me on twitter at joey Carrion dfs all
0: right guys we will talk to you on thursday